Hey, welcome back to The Craft, where we explore what we're learning about the creative process. I'm Colby, and I'm here with my friend Carter. And today we're talking about being an artist and keeping your day job. Yeah, so the question today is around the day job, and the odds are, if you're becoming more and more serious about your craft, you'll probably at some point ask yourself, could I do this full time? And then kind of the other question, should I do it full time? And so one of the questions that we're thinking about today is this line between a hobbyist and a professional. And at first glance, this appears like a clear line. If you make money, you're professional. If you're doing it just as a hobby, right, your craft is a hobby. But to what degree is the craft defined by getting paid? And so our overarching question is, can you be a real artist, scare quotes there, and keep your day job? So a couple of different things on the table. Colby, what are your initial thoughts with this question? I know I've kind of got my definite answer here, but yeah, what are your thoughts? Whew. Can you be a real artist and keep your day job? That's a good question. I mean, that might be the title of the podcast right there. Um, I think, I think that the answer is yes. Um, just that's where I'm at, but I think that there's a lot that you need to talk through because, um, I don't know. There's definitely a, a sense in me that struggles with feeling like unless I'm making a lot of money on my art or unless I, or until I make a lot of money on my art, you know, I'm not there yet. Kind of chasing that goal of like monetizing my work or having a certain number of listeners or whatever. Uh, so there's kind of two things in here. I think there's one like monetizing your work and then there's two just like recognition for your work. Like uh, whether that's like listens or how many people read your work or views on a video, whatever the metric is. Um, feels like there's like just money and notoriety, the kind of two categories. And really, obviously, like everyone would be like, oh, you, you don't have to have those things to be doing good work. But nonetheless, like the way that we think naturally is just like geared towards wanting to make money, wanting to be known. And so I think um, that's why this is going to be an interesting conversation to just like talk about why, why that is. Yeah, I think that's, I think you're right on there. And I think it's harder probably in your industry than it is in mine. I feel like the tendency for academics or writers is to look at the decade long perspective. Hmm. Like, I don't know, there's a big narrative of, right, Moby Dick is not recognized till like 50 years after it's published. Might even be more, so don't quote me on that. Mm -hmm. But that's typically the example everyone goes to, and it's true, right? There are a lot of artists that are not recognized in their time, thinking Van Gogh, thinking, I mean, you can do a huge list of this. So I think in one case, we're quick to say, okay, you don't get recognition, you don't get paid. All right, that's fine, right? doesn't mean that you can't do great art. There's tons of different examples. But at the same time, if you're not getting in recognition, you always kind of end up asking yourself, well, is it not any good? Like, I feel like that's a question. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, at least in the music industry, it seems like listens and engagement is probably really important, like as a barometer of what you're making. Do you think, I don't know, do you think there's a difference like between mediums here of like if you're writing something 
are you getting engagement versus if you're creating a song or an album? Do you think the metrics kind of are different here or look different across genres? What do you think? I'm actually going to say I might disagree because I think, I mean, I think I definitely agree on the one hand, there seems to be a tendency with uh, writers to have that perspective like that. I definitely, you would know that better than I, I believe that's true, but I'd say it's probably, um, it's, yeah, I think in music too, there's, ex- there's enough examples. I'll just say about, there's enough examples of music that's really stood the test of time versus music that's been, you know, like you have the concept of a one hit wonder in music, which is like someone who makes one song, it blows up and then they never really make, they might make more music, but they're never known for anything else that they make. And so, um, I think that there, there is a precedent in music for musicians and artists who have, maybe they didn't have as much recognition when they were around or it's, uh, or early in their careers, but then you like zoom out and see the whole picture of their life and they, you know, have a major impact or their records go on to win awards or just, um, not, or just consistently stay in vogue like for decades instead of just fading out. Like a lot of the songs that are on the radio right now will probably disappear within a couple of years. They'll just be another 20, uh, 2020s song. You know what I mean? So, but really, I mean, you could also, I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that too from the, about like pop music because, you know, that's, I like making pop kind of music and, there's kind of a question about pop where it's like, it's popular. So is it, um, so there's a need to like make it catchy and make it three minutes and 30 seconds and like follow some formulas. And so is that, uh, does that degrade or lower the quality of the art? You know, I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on like pop art. Dude. Okay. So I'm, I love this question because I feel like I can just upfront acknowledge that any conversation, this is a disclaimer about music, <laughs> I'm totally out of my lane and I'll unapologetically like just wheel and deal. So if I say some like definite claim, I I knowingly say this as not an expert. Um, So that'll be my preface. If it comes up again, I'll do it again, a different episode. But um, yeah, pop's really interesting because I think you've got like bubblegum, chewy pop that you just enjoy. It's juicy fruit. It lasts like 25 seconds. And then it's like, okay, this is like a piece of eraser in my mouth um and then you've got pop like i'm thinking of michael jackson that's still like it's got this enduring quality to it people still like play billy jean like it's got some sort of like um that lasting quality that you're talking to and so i wonder the question for me is what are those kind of characteristics about certain pop songs that give it the bubblegum effect or the lasting effect and i think that, i mean that's a whole i mean we're way off topic here in, in a bit but you know I, I think it's worth thinking about because mm-hmm. i've always been driven by this idea of there is this metric of lasting quality to art and even in reading hume lately uh, in a class one of the big components of how he measured you know, whether or not something was beautiful or whatever aesthetic quality um, they were talking about, aesthetic value, was that it lasts the test of time, that multiple true critics across history have acknowledged there's value there. Now, there's all sorts of ways to disagree with that and, and qualify that. 
and say, okay, some things are really popular for 200 years and then they dropped. Is that art? You know, is that aesthetically valuable? Uh, so there's a lot of different ways to qualify it. But I do think, like, if you're not making art that's going to last, I maybe people are going to disagree with this, but I feel like it's just not as meaningful to me. If I'm making something that, I don't know, if I'm making something ephemeral that's just going to get kind of another noise, not something that I say, okay, I want this to last, like it's got some sort of enduring quality to it. I, I'm, at least I'm not as interested in that. But I could hear the counter argument with that of being like, yeah, some things are just made, a cup of coffee is made not to last, it's to be enjoyed. So if you made some sort of, <laughs> some things have that ephemeral nature to them that is part of enjoying them. But yeah. for art, I think the emphasis of, for me, the value here is on the lasting duration. Okay, so let me rope this back into the main topic then and say, can you make lasting art while you still have a day job? You know, and kind of, maybe that's like obvious. Maybe people have a really strong reaction, yes or no, I don't know, but can we dig into that a little more and some of those implications? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I was thinking about when just working through this was this idea of the hobbyist and the professional. And I think that's a binary that gets thrown around a lot. That's if you just look at examples and we've got a whole list of examples that we did in kind of preparation for this. Colby, you have a ton of stuff listed and I did a little poke around today. No one really follows that. You either have artists who are like working day jobs until they get the big break, but you also have a, a lot of great lasting influence artists that continue working a day job. And so it's strange to think you're either a professional or it's just your hobby. Because here, right at the craft, here at the craft, uh, your craft is not a hobby. Like there's something different with a craft than a hobby. Like I wouldn't call music a hobby for you, right? I, what do you think? What do you think about the word kind of hobby? How does that play into to this? Mm. I mean, I guess a, a hobby is something that you do for fun and it's supposed to be done for the sake of doing it. It's not for the sake of money or, uh, you know what I mean? Like any other, it's really just to find joy, to rest, to recover, to do something with your hands or your mind, whatever. So I think that's what a hobby is. And, and really, so you could have, so you could, you could say on the one hand, well, I'm not making money from, uh, doing music. Well, I make a little bit of money, but like I'm not making enough money on music to uh, to to really step out and do music full time or something. And I could say, okay, so it's just I do this for fun, or maybe it's a sorry. I'm kind of struggling to get a full sentence out here. Let me let me start over. Um, I think a hobby is something you do for free, pretty much, and for fun. Then you have like the side hustle idea, which is like trying to make a little extra money on top of your main work. And so you're taking something you love maybe and you're turning it into a business. And then you have like the goal, kind of the dream I think that is like you have your side business and then you work hard enough, you're working in the evenings and then all of a sudden it blows up. You've got enough work, you can quit your day job, you can go full time and you can be a real artist. That seems to be kind of, at least for me, kind of what I can want sometimes is like, oh, maybe I something happens, things work out and I, and all of a sudden full-time in this music thing 
and I don't have to do other work now and I can do what I love, quote unquote, for a living. And so you have this journey from here's what I love, which is my hobby to can I make what I love a day job? And this is kind of what sparked the interest for me to do this conversation today was listening to Austin Kleon, the author of Steal Like an Artist, talk about this very thing on uh, the Future podcast. Um, he talked about how he hates the word side hustle. I know I'm sp- this is a long uh, section, but if, let me finish this final Dude, thought. keep it going. No. Um, but he talked about how he hates the word side hustle because he said poetry is not a side hustle to me. He's like, I do poetry. I write poetry to like breathe to like survive, to like not hate my life and go crazy. (laughs) And uh, I thought that was interesting because I was like, oh, okay. So I don't have a strong opinion. I'm not bothered by the word side hustle, but I hear his point. Like uh, you don't have to necessarily turn your hobby or the thing you love. Let's remove the word hobby for a second and say something you love. You don't have to turn something you love into a moneymaker just because you can. Uh, you can do it for the sake of loving that thing. Um, maybe it is a hobby. I don't know if that's the right word or if there's a category for something that you love and is free, but it's not a hobby. I don't really know, but see, uh, that's the that's it's the a craft, interesting maybe. thing. <laughs> yeah. So to add a complication to this, it's like I would consider fly fishing for me a hobby. Like I okay. really enjoy it. I recharge. I like it. It brings like a vitality. There's so many great things about fly fishing that, that mm-hmm. I love. That's a hobby that I don't look at like writing, working on a screenplay or writing poetry as a hobby. Hmm. But it is something that I enjoy. It's something that I am, you know, practicing and uh, developing. But it's markedly different than a hobby. And it's not my main source of payment, right? I don't know. To me, it's like there's some sort of middle ground that a craft occupies that it might ascend from a hobby into something where you get paid full time to do it, but it may not. I don't know. I, mm. I, I just, I just see this kind of, and what do you think about that distinction? Mm-hmm. Like, is there anything that you think, okay, a hobby, maybe running or, or biking, mm-hmm. like a hobby and then working on music. Like there, there's some sort of different weight to it that it's just in a different category in my mind. What do you think? Is yeah. it in a different category for you? I think so. I mean, I think there's like, uh, there's hobby. I'm trying to think of what hobbies I kind of enjoy that I would put in a different category. I do bike. I do run. I mean, like a hobby that I hardly ever pick up, but is fun is like longboarding, you know, like that's truly something I could say is a hobby because I have a longboard. I can longboard, but I'm not the best at it. I'm also not concerned about how bad I am at it. Like it just there's no like comparison or like researching the best long borders and trying to learn the craft of long, you know, it's like, I'm just like trying to, it's easier than walking. It's fun. I can go out to a park and I can cruise and I can put in my AirPods and listen to some music. It's fun. Like it's, there's not really a, a goal with it, I guess. Maybe that's kind of what I nice. think of with a hobby is like, there's not a goal. There's just, just doing this thing. I'm biking. I'm, um, I think you could have a hobby and have goals. Like, I think you could be like, my hobby is running, but I want to be a better runner. But um, I think what Mm. we're getting at is like feeling a calling towards something almost like uh, something that keeps happening. Like you, no matter what, like even if I never 
I've just been wrestling recently with this idea of making money in music and been thinking like, you know, maybe there's better ways for me to make extra money because at the end of the day, even if I made no money, I know I will come back to this thing called music, music making. Like I know I'll come back to making more beats, even if no one wants to work with me and I was just by myself, I think I would still want to sit down and make something. And that is kind of the drive that I feel like, uh, is under the surface of what we're talking about. Dude, I love that. I think that's I think that's so right on. And so to tie this into our conversation about the day job too, regardless of whether or not you're making money from your work, I think that that calling, that um, whatever that thing is that compels you to do this and that it's, yes, it's got a goal, it's got a development, it's got this kind of internal necessity, that regardless of whether you're making money, is possible. And I think that kind of gets to where we would both say, yeah, absolutely, you could have a day job and pursue your craft. Uh, Wallace Stevens, um, a major poet in the 20th century, he worked like his whole life at a, uh, a corporate company while he wrote poetry. He turned down a job at Harvard after he won the Pulitzer to continue working in now, he was making a fat check at this company. He was like a vice president. Uh, but it just blows up the idea that his craft was something that happened alongside this kind of business pursuit. And so uh, maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's one way that we could approach this whole question is there's something about the craft that's different than a hobby, and it's different than what you're doing to get a paycheck. Now, it could be something that gets you a paycheck, I think, but I don't think it could be a hobby. I don't know. I might be in the weeds here, but do you think there's anything valuable in in that? Like there's something that sets apart the craft that regardless of whether you're making money, there's like this subterranean calling compulsion, um, something there that's going to be there regardless of not or not. Well, I guess one thing I would say is that I think you could probably pursue something as a craft, even if you don't feel a calling to it. So maybe that complicates things a little bit more. But if I, I mean, for example, I have some interest in cooking. I enjoy cooking and I'd like to get better at it. And I could see myself over a progression of many years, just like working on my skills, learning how different cutting techniques, like, I don't know, just trying to grow a real skill there. Um, and wanting to grow in that craft, like I don't think that I have to say like I'm a musician and then box myself into being just this one thing because I think a lot of the Oof. artists that will look at who may have a day job and also do poetry and also write a book, they may also make a movie, they may also sell clothes. Like there's um, maybe there's just something about being an artist, you know what I mean? And I don't want to say like it's like you're an artist or you're not, and there's this like. Um, exclusive group or something but like more so just the idea of maybe you just enjoy making things and being creative and so there's there could be more than one avenue is all i want to say about like there's more than one way that you might want to be creative and pursue a craft um i totally agree i think that's i think that's a helpful um complication about things like there are like if we wanted to get like really meticulous like there are sub crafts that you might work on uh to kind of bring back 
the binary, I think oftentimes it's thought about that you either have a hobby and then what you do for for real, like your professional career. Hmm. And I think it's easy to get trapped in that where, oh, writing writing or making music is a hobby. It's like, it's not a hobby. Like there, there's something more like lasting to it. Um, I don't know. That was the kind of the vein that I was trying to, to tap into. Okay, so I hear what you're saying. You're saying like, um, it's really the idea of if I'm, you know, making music right now, but I'm independent and I'm just like, in other words, I'm just doing it by myself. But let's compare that to me working with a label, you know, like um, if I'm working with a label, there's a validation like Capitol Records or whatever. This label has said that this is an artist worth putting money on the table for. And they're backing me and there's like, oh, he's a professional now because he works yes. with a professional label. Exactly. And then you look at, let's flip it and let's say I'm doing, I do marketing at my day job. So let's flip it and say, what if I was doing freelance marketing and I had not, didn't have a company quote unquote backing me, but I was my own company uh, versus, oh, Colby does marketing at um, Resound. You know, it's like, well, there's this backing of a company that says you're a professional marketer now versus being a professional marketer, but I'm independent. I'm a freelancer, you know, like, so there's almost this, uh, whenever the company backs you or you're, you have a certain like status attached to it, then you can be like, professionally, I do this and it kind of validates it. Uh, and if you tell but if you tell someone like, yeah, I'm working on a screenplay, it's like, Oh, okay. Well, you're not oh, that's a director, nice. so it sounds <laughs> lame, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. But then you pass over the fact that there have been screenplays written by people before they broke into that industry, um, people who taught themselves or people who, you know, had a normal day job. And that doesn't mean that they couldn't write a screenplay. Like, so... Um, that's exactly the distinction I that I wanted to... I think you articulated that really well. That regardless, like we've got this conception where if you get paid, you're legitimate. You're a real yeah. artist if you get right. paid. If not, it's a hobby. And I think that's the thing that I'm just like, no, that's just not true. Yeah, We can't gauge. It's just a really bad way to gauge any sort of value by how much it gets paid or like how, how it can get monetized. Because there's plenty of crappy things that get monetized. I mean, I think social media, right? There's tons of just worthless content that gets a ton and ton of engagement and so Mm -hmm. in the same way there's tons of things that are not admirable that get monetized okay so (laughs) i kind of want to share this like scene from a show i've been watching just because it's kind of perfectly tied to this do it i don't know if i want to cut this later or not but i'm watching this show silicon valley it's very funny it's about starting a startup in silicon valley and there's a scene where the founder of Huli, which is like a massive company, kind of a, a big corporation, um, he's like talks about how he went soul searching and went on this trip. And he said, I, I saw all the wonders of the world. I saw the pyramid. What is it? The pyramid of Giza. And the he lists a couple other things. And he says, they all collectively get uh, about... 12,000 visits per year, some some small number. And he's like, and I realized that the Huli app has 1.5 million users visit it every day. And then I realized I have built something 
better than the greatest wonders in the world. And I'm the best version of myself. And that was like the result of his quest was like, uh, I'm already the best version of myself. And it was obviously this whole like, you know, it's a super sarcastic show. Satire. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, in a way that's kind of like, it's a joke, but we all sort of do buy into this like 1.5 million views. Oh, that's legitimate. 1500 views, illegitimate. But you look exactly. at you look exactly. at you could be looking at a piece of crap art that gets 1.5 million and then a beautiful classic painting that gets 1500 and it's like there's a lot of factors at play but you know not every metric is the correct proxy to value you know what i exactly. mean exactly i think that's yeah i mean it's it sounds very basic but like even with like nfts and stuff you can buy a $300,000 nft but if you bought a Rembrandt and then you said they're worth the same, are they? And then I know there's some there's hmm. somebody out there being like, oh, the NFT is worth more than the Rembrandt. Well, it's, <laughs> like, we'll, we'll, take, I, we'll take you on. I'll take you on later. <laughs> like, it, no, it's not. I, fight me on that. The uh, uh, Well, I guess the question is going to be how much is the Rembrandt worth in another 20 years and how much is the NFT worth? That's going to kind of be the big question, right? Yeah, like, but then it's like, that's the wrong metric. Like, it's just like, that's the yeah. wrong game to play. It's like, that's yeah. not the question. And I guess that's what I'm trying to tie into our conversation about art. If you're gauging your art by how much money you make or how much engagement, I think it's the wrong metric most of the time. Now, of course, some great art gets great engagement. And so, and this might, be, oh, tie it back into pop music. Some pop music is popular and it's great. It's like just because it's popular doesn't discredit it. And just because you make sure. money on it doesn't discredit it. 100%. But it's kind of works just because you make money doesn't mean it's good. I don't know. That's that's the kind of – I feel like, yeah, you could make money on it and it can be great. But just because you make money doesn't mean it's great. That's the kind of aphoristic style, I think, Yeah. what I'm thinking about. I think that's good. I think that's a good thought. Um. So I think – I mean – We've really solved it. So <laughs> I think the next the, the next logical thing is like, um, how do you take this mindset of like, okay, I can actually make something meaningful, even if I don't make a lot of money off of it, even if it doesn't go viral, and even if I still have a day job. So now how do I keep going? Like, seriously, like you could personalize this to me if you want, like, how do I keep going? Because I, I do love my day job. And in a way, there's a like I love the craft of marketing. So there's a desire for me to invest in the craft of marketing and grow there. Um, so that's kind of a different conversation. But uh, for this, for music, which is not right now my day job, like there's a desire for that to go full time in the future or for me to own a business in the future. Like that's a desire on me in my heart. But, you know, what? how can I think about this like right now as I have a day job, anything practical? Dude, that's good. So thinking about application here um, to kind of sum up a couple of thoughts and correct me if, if you disagree here, um, right? There are benefits of going full time in a craft. You get to devote more time to the craft, right? There are obvious, obviously benefits here. But there are also challenges of you get in the position maybe that you're trying to produce and you've got to get product and you've got to get output and you've got to get 
things finished. I'm thinking about like Jack London talks about how he had to write stuff to sell because he had to make money. Like he was a full-time writer, but he had to just crank stuff out and how he even approached that of I'm just writing what the editors want. And that can kind of sink in uh, too. So I think it's, that's, I think there are pros and cons to oversimplify it in that way. Uh, but if we're thinking about application, I love the quote that you sent me earlier this week. Maybe you can read that about finding those times during the day to work. Because although you don't need to be at it full time, you do have to be at it sometime. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. Like you still have to give it some time and you have to carve out places within the rhythms of your life that you're going to devote to the craft. And so I think the danger of if you got the day job is that maybe you neglect the craft and maybe the danger of if it's your full time, maybe you neglect the cl- the craft and you're focused mm-hmm. on something else. So I think in both ways, there's the potential to be focused on something other than working on what you're trying to work on. And obviously there are tons of things that we need to be concerned about, but in regards to working on a discipline, whether or not you've got a day job or you're full time, there's still in either case, I think you can get disoriented. Yeah. I think that's good. So can I take us on a quick tangent before we do this quote of the week? Yeah, let's do it. Cause I, I wrote down, we both did some research on examples of artists and uh, artists who had a day job and are still like had a legacy are well known, um, which I guess goes a bit against our. It's not against what we said, but you know, it's kind of like these people are well known, so I'm still using that as a proxy, which is fine. But um, yeah, I I just think whenever I listen to that other podcast uh, from Austin Cleon, I kind of wanted to hear some examples, you know, of like who are his favorite artists who had day jobs. Um, that really interested me. So I did a little digging, did some research. Some of these came from Austin Cleon. He has a blog about it. Um, and we can link these things in the show notes in the description. Um, and a couple, there was a couple blogs I found as well that were helpful, but really, I just want to go through a couple, a short list of some of these artists and we can talk about kind of what sticks out to you, um, before we wrap here. Uh, so the first example, um, is Austin Cleon. He talked about in his podcast, um, he just talked about this, how he would work on his day job, uh, sorry, work on his art, his writing before his day job in order to kind of like get that creativity out of his system before he got to work. And um, the next big one that was really interesting was Scott Adams. So I was reading the book Rest by um, Alex uh, Sujong Kim Peng. And I'm not sure if I pronounced that perfect, but um, it's a really interesting book, and he talks about how Scott Adams, the author of the Dilbert comic strips, uh, he would wake up at 4 a.m. every day to write before his day job. And uh, if you don't know, the Dilbert comic strips, they're like, I think they're about like office humor pretty much, like making fun of corporate life, which is interesting. Um, so he woke up every day, 4 a.m., he would write a little bit before work. And he said, quote, that's why I rarely drew background scenes. I literally didn't have the time. Um, and it's run for 30 years. They've made a movie out of it. They've made... Um, they made a movie? That's all. Awesome. I don't know if it's from the comics or if it's like about the author. Um, but there's like a movie spinoff. There's been a book written. There's all of these different things. It's 100% commercially successful. Um, but on top of that, it's just like he's been doing it for 30 years. 
And I think he still does a lot of his work in the early mornings. Um, and so that was pretty inspirational, pretty interesting to me. And I, he did eventually go full-time with it, but he started it as a side project, as something outside of work. Uh, let's see, Jack London, we've already mentioned him. He was, uh, you, should, you know way, way more about him than I do, but from what I saw, he was an oyster pirate in San Francisco. And Yeah, dude, he was like 13 years old, stealing oysters. And then when he was like 17, he was a seal hunter in Japan. And then when he was like 19, he was in the Klondike. And then he was like, screw all this manual labor. I'm just going to write. <laughs> uh, so, But all that time that he was working, I mean, it's a huge inspiration for all of his work. And so you could totally mm. see how that his day job, basically this manual labor that he did, was really important for him because it laid the foundation for most of his creative fiction later in his life. Um, but he definitely went full-time, and he was like, I mentioned before, he saw some challenges with that too. Um, but yeah, he had a, a healthy amount of physical labor before he went full-time. Well, I, I think that's something we, I wish we'd spent more time talking about like the benefits of it and the pros and cons because I think that seems to be a really big pro of having a day job is you, one, you have a steady income. Two, you have this space where you can be getting excited about doing creative work where you're like, oh, I can't work on this right now, but I can't wait till I have some free time. Like I always found when I was a student in college, I would be so excited about doing music because it was like, I don't have time to do music. So it's like, you want the thing you cannot have, you know? And some something about that. Uh, but then on top of that, with uh, Jack London, like he has these life experiences that he can draw from for his his stories. And I think that's another huge piece is like, you're actually living your life for sure. doing stuff, having interactions with people. For sure. And then you can write songs about that or you can write uh, stories about that exactly. and draw from that inspiration. Um, next we got Agatha Christie who wrote a lot of different murder mysteries, uh, true, not true crime. Yeah. Murder. Uh, I don't know what the genre would be. Is it just like, yeah, it's like crime mysteries. Or, yeah. Mystery. That's the theory. Yes. She's a mystery. trailblazer in the, uh, the mysteries genre. And I've only read one book from her. Um, and I've seen the movie that was based off that book about the, I don't know, what was it called? It was about the train. Murder uh, on the Orient Express, I think. Yes, which was really good. Um, and she was a pharmacist. Uh, Harper Lee, author of To Kill a Mockingbird. She was an American writer. Um, she was an airline ticket inspector. William Faulkner was a postmaster. And um, I think during that time wrote some poems later collected as The Marble Fawn. Um, Vivian Meyer, who isn't as popular, but very well known in the photography space. I know some of my friends, uh, definitely were actually introduced me to her work. She was a street photographer. Um, her works didn't become famous until after her lifetime, I believe, or towards the end of her lifetime. Um, and she worked as a nanny Jackson Pollock contemporary artist. Obviously that's, there's another conversation just about his work cause it's so crazy. Uh, but, uh, he was a babysitter, which is interesting. Um, I bet he made a mess. <laughs> I saw, I actually recently saw in the Chicago Institute of Art, saw Jackson Pollock, which was pretty cool. Dude, you saw some awesome artwork. Saw Colby Picasso. Sent, Colby sent me some, some gems from that trip. Yeah, there's some good stuff there. Um, 
But anyways, it was definitely, I think it was interesting for me to find this list of, of people and um, hopefully that inspires some of these people, inspire you uh, listeners, because I feel like there's like, most of these people are writers, I guess almost all of them except for the photographer and the painter. Um, but I think that the there's probably more examples in, across all the mediums that we could find. Yeah, and one more thing I'll add to this um, that's really neat, I think. A lot of people know T.S. Eliot was a, worked in the bank, but there was something um, I came across where um, Aldous Huxley visited him and said he was the most bank clerky of all the bank clerks. And basically that, he did his job really, really well. And I thought that was awesome. So while he's composing some of the, you know, most popular critically acclaimed poetry of the century, he's also doing a really good job as a bank clerk. And I just love that. And so mm. I think going back to those benefits, you can also crush the day job and really, you know, tr- pursue excellence in that while you're doing your craft. You're not just checking in to mindlessly get your paycheck, which, you know, I, I don't know. I was something I was really encouraged. I'm like, I love that T.S. Eliot was a good bank clerk. Like that yeah. fires me up. Yeah, he wasn't like writing poetry under the countertop, like ignoring customers, like just trying to get over the workday, complaining like he was doing a good job. I think that's beautiful. I think that's great. I really like that. Um, And man, that kind of sparks another conversation for another day, which is just like uh, this whole conversation about, it's almost like a bunch of myth busting. And it's not, we're not breaking any new ground here. We're really repeating things, but it's like... um, you don't have to be uh, like the fact that you're still in your twenties is an interesting thing to talk about. Ah, what am I trying to say? Some, the average age, I saw this from a newsletter from Nathaniel drew the average, there's a study that shows the average age of authors when they write a bestseller is 48. Boom. And that's just like an episode by itself because we need to talk about that. Like maybe Let's our best it. work isn't going to be in our twenties. Maybe it's going to be in our fifties or sixties. Um, Cause it's Dude, just I'm hoping my thing. best work is like 75, like when I can actually write something because I've actually read some stuff. It feels like different between, this definitely feels different between writing and music because I don't think of authors as like necessarily young people. I think like the older you are as an author, the more I trust you, but the younger you are as an artist, the more I'm interested in you. You know what I mean? It's like- Yeah, I hear that. Because like you want art artists, I've heard artists talk a lot about like- um, there's a window of time in your artistic life where you can like be famous, where you can make the money, where you can be relevant basically. And then you kind of just get older and then there's new people that come in the labels and there's new, it's like, it really is a game of younger artists. Like, um, and that's more specific to like being popular and pop music and things, but like you don't think about Bob Dylan as fresh or new or anything. I mean, even like someone like, I don't know, I guess, but he's an incredible artist, you know? And he did stuff when he was um, young. And, and so, I mean... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think... And I'll say that, too. I mean, Keats is super young when he was writing. And, yeah, you can definitely do great work at a young age. At least, that's what we're yeah. hoping. Uh, but there is there is a long game. And it comes back to the idea of the craft of the long yeah. game. For sure. So, maybe... I don't know. Maybe we do another episode on that someday. Yeah, let's do it. Um, all right. Well, let me knock out this quote of the day real quickly. Um, so this quote of the day comes from Austin Cleon. We've talked a lot about him in this episode. 
but it feels appropriate since he inspired the content. Um, author of Steel Like an Artist, I uh, highly recommend checking out his website and everything. He said, this is what I recommend. Get up early, get up early and work for two hours on the one thing you really care about. Then when you're done, go to your job. When you get there, your boss can't take the thing you really care about away from you because you already did it. And you'll know you get to do it tomorrow morning as long as you make it through today. I really like that quote. Um, I think it just summarizes what we've already talked about today, honestly. Yeah, I think it speaks for itself. I think it speaks for itself. And um, yeah, make some time. Make some time and uh, work on the craft regardless of whether or not it's full-time or not. You're going to need time. And so find that time and, and work it into, yeah, whatever rhythm that you're in. Awesome. Well, this is a good episode, man. We're at 40 minutes. So I feel like this is a good time to, to wrap it up. Perfect. Thank you all for it. listening. We'll see you on the next one. And also, I will say one last housekeeping note is we do have a new email set up. It's heycraftpodcast at gmail.com. And so if you have um, any questions or feedback, just ways we can make the show better, topics you want us to talk about, um, or your own thoughts about whether you should have a day job or if you need to be if you need to be a full-time artist to be a real artist, let us know. The door is wide open. Anything you want to send us, pretty much, send us. That's right. So uh, send us a message and we'll see you in the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby, where we share what we're learning about the creative process. If you're a writer, music producer, marketer, filmmaker, photographer, or you just love creativity, then this show is for you. Our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewelldesign.com. That's Elizabeth, N-E-W-E-L-L, design.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. If you like the show, there's three things you can do to help us out. First, subscribe so you learn when we post new episodes. Second, send the link to one of your friends who you think would enjoy the show. Uh, Really, word of mouth is going to be the the number one way we grow the show in any way. And three, if you have a topic you want us to cover or feedback about how we can improve the show or comments on what we've said, you can respond to heycraftpodcast at gmail.com. H-E-Y-C-R-A-F-T podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.